A little girl was attending a wedding for the very first time, and she asked her mom, Mommy, why is the bride wearing a white dress? And the mother thought for a moment and said, Well, dear, because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. The little girl thought about this. Well, then why is the groom wearing black? A similar question might be asked in relation to today's gospel reading from our own St. John chapter 17. Why is Jesus praying? And to help us answer that question, I will ask you a question. If you knew that your time was limited, that you only had a few hours left, that later that day, out on the highway, you would have an accident with a ginormous red tractor-trailer truck, and your life would end immediately upon impact, might you be inclined to pray that morning? Yes. Yes, you might be so inclined. You also might be inclined to try to avoid the highway. (laughs) But a little more seriously, if you knew that to be the case, you also might be inclined to gather those closest to you, And to share with them your heart and hope for their future. And this is exactly what is happening in today's Gospel reading, which some have referred to as the real Lord's Prayer. Because in this prayer, Jesus is pouring out his anguish, his hope, and his heart. Versus the prayer we usually think of as calling the Lord's Prayer, might be better called the Disciples' Prayer. Because Jesus taught it to his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. By the way, are you a churchgoer or are you a disciple? So this prayer happens in John 17. In John 18, Jesus is arrested. And in chapter 19, he is crucified. A much more wicked version of a giant red tractor trailer truck. In other words, that sign which many a street preacher has used over the centuries, and even today, the end is near, was true for Jesus in this moment. And in the face of the end, knowing his time was running out, he prayed the following in John 17, verse 6. I have made your name known to those whom you have given me from the world, and I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking behalf of the world. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but asking you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now it's from this passage, as well as Romans 12 verse 2, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, that the old saying finds some biblical support. The old saying of, be in the world, but not of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. How many of you have heard that expression before? Raise your hand. Okay. So, repeat after me. Be in the world, but not of the world. Now, a number of years ago, you might have heard this sort of talk more. And you can still hear it sometimes. 
For example, some people in monastic circles will say, when I left the world, meaning when they entered the monastery and took their vows. Now this expression, duets strangely, the expression, be in the world, not of the world, duets strangely with the saying, the real world. Many a prophet, or a dreamer, or an artist has been told, get with the real world. But sidestepping issues of platonic caves, and blue pill matrices, and a long philosophical debate about what does it mean for something to be real, what does Jesus mean in John 17 when he prays, they do not belong to the world, meaning the disciples. And presumably that also means us, 21st century disciples. They do not belong in the world. Or they do not belong to the world. The Reverend Dr. David Nostrum, who's an evangelical theologian, sort of gives us a working definition, a biblical definition of the world. Quote, The forces and elements opposed to God, and more precisely, the whole complex of human institutions, values, and traditions, that knowingly or unwittingly are arrayed against God. I'll say it again. The world is the forces and elements opposed to God. Or more precisely, the whole complex of human institutions, values, and traditions that knowingly or unwittingly are arrayed against God. So this draws out the challenge of the Christian life as being not just concerned about personal sin and personal moral struggle and personal spirituality, but that Christianity is also concerned with both structural sin or corporate sin or concerns about corporate spirituality. And Jesus says in this prayer that his disciples, by the way, what's another word for disciple? Follower. To follow or not to follow, that is the question. He says that his followers are not to be in the world in the sense of this definition. Dr. Dr. James Boyce, who's a mainline theologian, we are a mainline denomination, he sort of highlights the tension of this biblical definition of the world. The world is both that which does not know and rejects the word, that's Jesus, and those who belong to him. But the world is also the object of the Father's love and of his and the disciples' ongoing love and mission. So in case you're phasing out on me, I will say it again. The world is both that which is not known and rejects the word, Jesus, and those who belong to him. But the world is also the object of the Father's love and of his and the disciples' ongoing love and mission. So maybe you see the tension there. In other words, the world is not so bad after all. After all, in Genesis, after God creates the world, what does he say about it? He said it was very good. Tell your neighbor very good. So here is the tension of the Christian life. There is an inherent tension for the centuries of the Christian theological tradition between what it means to be a believer, a Christian, and the world in our daily life. There should be a tension. And therefore, there's also a tension inherent in what a Christian congregation like St. John's or other Christian institutions and their relationship with the world. Because on one hand, the world is very good. But on the other hand, there is much in the world that opposes God. 
giant frog. There's a giant frog. Uh, what noise do frogs make? Good, some of your ribbons are better than others, but yes. A giant frog hops over to a beautiful princess who is looking out a window. And the frog speaks to her. If you kiss me, I'll be transformed into a handsome prince. And the princess thinks for a moment and says, I'd rather have a talking frog. One of the perennial dangers of the church, or temptations of the Christian life, certainly we face too, is to sort of circle our wagons, and have an inward focus, and sort of settle for a somewhat tidy, if occasionally bickersome or drab internal existence. Whether as a couple, well I suppose as an individual, or as a couple, a family, a church, a business, an organization, a country, or a hemisphere, and sort of say, well, we'll keep the world, or the neighborhood, or those people, or those problems, or whatever, outside of our collective red doors. But Jesus prays in John 17 that you and I would hop out of this sacred space, out into the world to deliver the good news of God's love. And that good news must be delivered in truckloads of ways. Truckloads! From personal action, to corporate action, to quiet prayer, to loud proclamation, to serving the poor, to advocating for the changing of unjust laws, to writing generous checks to fund good ministries and good organizations that are doing good things. As well as tending to your issues, or your marriage, or your situation, your friendships, your children. As well as encouraging and strengthening one's neighbors, marriage, family, children, situation, etc. Now check this out. As individual Christians, you and I are not called, gifted, or equipped to engage in every form of good news delivery. There are literally hundreds, maybe thousands of ways of delivering the good news. And you and I as individuals are not called, gifted, or equipped to do every single one of those things. Now the whole Christian church, across denominations, time and place across the world, does have that calling to engage in every form of good news delivery. And even a local congregation like St. John's cannot engage in all of those. But make no mistake, by virtue of your baptism, you have been summoned, you have been given an admission to be sent into the world to deliver good news, just as God sent Jesus into the world to deliver good news. So, it comes down to these two spiritual homework questions. I know you all love homework. Missed that from your days in school. For those of you who have homework to do, are you excited about it? You love homework, Theodore? Okay, if you have any homework, pass it on down to Theodore. So here are the two spiritual homework questions. Number one, the phrase, be in the world, but not of the world. Would that apply to your life? Be in the world, but not of the world. If someone followed you around all this week and saw everything you did and everything you didn't do, what conclusion would they come to? And then spiritual homework question number two, how are you delivering and being good news for the world? 
Amen.